You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. This morning, just as we start, we talked last week out of the overflow of our hearts. That statement specifically, what is the overflow of our hearts? It says that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth will speak. But I was just captivated by that uh, last week, just thinking of what is the overflow out of our hearts. When we overflow, what does the world see that overflow? Do they see it uh, as Jesus describes it in John 7, verse 37? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Is, is that the testimony of us, those that believe and are rooted in Jesus? That only happens if we abide, right? The Lord will withhold no good thing for those who walk uprightly. That's those who remain in the will of God, in the presence of God, abiding in the vine. And when we abide in that place, the river of life flows into us and not just into us, but it is meant to flow out of us. Out of the overflow of our hearts does the world see And they will see what we subscribe to, what we surround ourselves with. You will always seek what you surround yourself with. Do they see us seeking the kingdom of heaven? They'll only see us seeking the kingdom of heaven if we surround ourselves with the presence of God, the desires to establish it in this community. Out of the overflow of our hearts, have we allowed all that he has spoken to fill us, that the world would see the joy that fills us and overtakes us because this is the beautiful reality that everything that he has spoken over this house has already been released. And are we operating with such a joy now in celebration of its being released? The world, the world has to wait to celebrate until they receive it in their hands, but we know in the kingdom of heaven when we speak, the sons and daughters speak, it is released in that very moment, and in that very moment we begin to celebrate as it is already finished. It may not be finished in this day, but it is finished in the day that it is set to be finished in because we, the children of God, have released it upon the earth, partnering with heaven and the kingdom and the Father's heart, and it has been released. Do we celebrate? Does the world see us overtaken with joy? Because of the great and mighty things that the Lord has spoken over this community. Just, would you just think for a second of all that the Lord has spoken. The things that are for Sundown, Texas. How many of you are here in Sundown, Texas right now? That's a trick question. All of you are here. If you, if you were confused about that, see me after. We'll talk about location and how you are where you are. You're in Sundown right now. If you didn't know, this is Sundown, Texas. It's small but mighty. We love it. If you're here and you've heard the words spoken from this pulpit, the words, even if you've listened to it online, the things that the Lord has spoken, he has spoken with you in mind and he has released it. So has the joy overtaken you in celebrating the releasing of these great and wonderful things, these beautiful things that this place, this city would thrive when it should not thrive, that it would, that it would have success where it should not, it would grow when it should not. That this place would not make sense to the world. Praise God. I don't want a place that makes sense to the world. Amen? Has this joy overtaken you? I have another question. Do we love what he he loves? The world that we would see, the joy that would fill us and overtake us, 
can only come when we love what he loves. When I love what he has spoken, the vision that he has spoken over this house, I will never subscribe myself to it if I am not in love with what the Lord wants to do through it. Do I love what he loves? Can you love what he loves without him? No. Just in case you're curious, you cannot. John 15 tells us that if we abide If we remain in, if his spoken word remains in us and we remain in him, we can ask whatever we wish. By this it will be given to us that the Father uh, be glorified and that we would have and bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. The Lord desires for us to bear fruit. He desires for us to pray for things and then him release those things. But that only comes when we remain in the presence of God in the will of God, and he's allowed the opportunity to give the desires of his heart to us that we could then partner with him in agreement and pray those things and release those things upon the earth. Only if we remain in him and his word remains in us can we know what he loves and love it as well. What does he also say in John 15? Love one another. Your love for one another will prove that you are mine. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but... Our love for each other testifies of Jesus because he loves us. And when we love the things that he loves, the world sees God in us. And his appeal is being made clearly through us. So what does he love? Specifically, we know there's a lot of things that the Lord loves, but specifically, what does our Savior love? I've been captivated by this question this week. What does he love? In a In relation to the vision that the Lord has spoken over this house, the many things over the many years that he has spoken over this house, I've been blown away by this this thought. And it's not the question of what does my Savior love, but it's the answer that is captivating. It is the answer that is captivating. Matthew 9, verse 10 is where we'll begin this morning. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Luke, it's, it's the same passage, but it's just in a different location with some different wording, and I like it. So that's why we're going to read it again. Matthew or Luke 5, 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Now I just want to stop right there. This sinner, right? This outcast of the Jews, Levi, a tax collector, a betrayer of his people, seen in his people's eyes. He has betrayed them because he has subscribed to the Romans. He will take their money and give it to their to their captors, right? Levi's not a good dude in the eyes of Jews. They hate him. But he made Jesus a great feast. Where does it say the Pharisees made Jesus a great feast? It doesn't. There's your hint. It doesn't. It doesn't say that the Pharisees celebrated Jesus. It doesn't say that they made him and welcomed him a great feast and celebrated the Son of God. No, it was a tax collector. Those rejected the lowest of the low and in their society seen as the worst of the worst that made Jesus this great feast. 
Verse 30, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does our Savior love? And this is the answer. Our Savior loves sinners. Our Savior loves the lost. Amen? There's not a one of us in here that could say that's not true because there's a not of one of us in here that hasn't felt the testimony of that love coming to me as a sinner, as one that was lost that did not deserve it, right? That used to be every one of us. We praise God for that fact because it used to be every one of us. Sinners, we were sinners simply condemned to death. But Jesus, rich in mercy, poured out his love upon us while we were still sinners and raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. He didn't just save us. He elevated us to a status of royalty. Come on. The lowest of the low are now royalty in the eyes of the kingdom. The angels and all the creatures that exist in heaven recognize us as sons and daughters to the king, heirs to the throne with Jesus. That's, that's pretty good starting from the bottom. The lowest of the lows to where we are now, that's pretty good succession, right? I like that. I like that path. John 3.16, we all know this. You don't have to go there, but you know this verse. I need to go there. I've marked it, and now I can't get to it. Hold on, I'm getting there. Zach, just pull it up. Come up, buddy. You got it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Praise God for this. Amen. He loves the world and all those in it. God loves the lost. But do we? Do we love the lost? Do we, the church, love the lost? Do we love what he loves? If we do, if we love the lost, where are they? How many of, now this, this is a question It could backfire, and it's not meant to make anybody feel bad. But how many of us were saved this week? Came to salvation. We're fresh baby Christians. Any baby Christians in the room? Where are they, church? Again, this is not condemnation. There's no conviction. This is something, again, I can't bring to you what the Lord has not already brought to me. But where are they? Are we not in love with the lost? Why are we waiting for them to get here? Why aren't we bringing them in ourselves? Do we love the lost? We've, we've existed in a society, honestly, church, where it was condemned, it was frowned upon by the church that you attended to have friends that were not saved. I, in my time, in sundown, and in, uh, in, in college and those things, I had friends that weren't saved. And don't be offended by this, but a lot of times I preferred their company to those that were saved because they weren't as mean. They were a little bit nicer, and they were honest. Honesty is valuable these days, is it not? It doesn't seem like anybody's honest anymore. So I'll take it if there's a few curse words sprinkled in there, but it's honest, I'll take it. But we have persecuted the church, and I'm not talking about this place specifically, but I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. It is frowned upon to have friends that are not saved and walking with Jesus. Why is that? How does the kingdom expand if those that know Jesus are not taking it to those who don't? How does anything change in this world if we are only ministering to those already saved? It can't. Spoiler alert, it cannot. 
What company did Jesus keep? If he's perfect theology, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to argue with that, you've got a long way to go. And I'll meet you in my office. I've got office hours first thing tomorrow morning. We can talk about it. Jesus is perfect theology. And what company did he keep? He kept company of tax collectors, of sinners, those rejected by the religious institutions, those that were not allowed to become Pharisees, Jews and Gentiles, those that warred with one another. So do we love who he loves? How can we, how can anything that he has spoken come to be if we do not have a deep love for those lost as Jesus does? Does that make sense? How could you, how can we see everything that the Lord has spoken come to be in sundown Texas if we, the church, do not have a love for the lost? We're not going to magically wake up one day and every house is filled with the Spirit of God. We've got to take it there. Do we not? We have got to remove this expectation of the Lord to just do it because we would like for him to do it. No, he has sent us his hands and feet to be co-laborers to establish these things. There is nothing that stands against God's elect, but we stand like we're worried that we're going to lose the battle if we, don't, if we don't have the Lord do it for us. There is nothing that stands against you. There is no territory that is not yours to claim. You just got to go and occupy it. So if we want a house filled with the presence of God, go to it and establish the presence of God in it. Amen? It's that simple, church. But we have to love what he loves. We are to love the world, not its practices, not its idols or the things that it worships, the, the things that drive it. My goodness, it has been, this season has been so frustrating, Sarah can articulated a little bit last night as I was, I was putting together Liam's toy, and I know parents can understand this. There's the toy that you buy, and then there's the toy that you got, and they're not the same, right? It's not to say, that doesn't look like a picture. This looks cheaper than the picture. I want the version that's in the picture, but why, right? Go to the grocery store. You'll buy something that's definitely not good for you, it's really, really expensive, and it's all there is. The world worships that little piece of paper. We're not to love the things that the world loves, but we are to love the people in it. Even those people that drive us insane because of the things that they choose to do, we are to love the world's people as Jesus did. Second Corinthians, as we've read several times, 5 uh, verse 18 all this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Not just the handful of us, but the world to himself. All of the world has been given the opportunity for forgiveness and salvation. All of the world has been presented this gift. They just simply have to receive it. They have to choose it as we all did. And now that we are saved, we are to be conduits for the river of life to all the world. Amen? Amen? We are to be the vessels. If you don't know who you are, you don't know how you fit in this thing, I'll tell you right now, you don't need to know anything else but this. You are to be a vessel for the living presence of God to the world that doesn't know him. Period. Take on his nature. 
and bring his nature into lost and broken places. That's your identity. That's it. We can get into the specifics in our own conversations, but if you are curious about who you are and your role in this, in this, in this ministry and in the kingdom, you are to be a vessel for the presence of God, taking it to a place that does not know him. But again, how can this city look more like the kingdom than it does a city and a state and a country if we do not minister to the lost and love them now as they are? That's the key. Love them now as they are because he loved me as I was and I was not good. I have, I, have, I have a lot of horrible things in my past and I've done a lot of terrible things to a lot of people. And he loved me for who I was as I was in that moment. He didn't accept my sin. He didn't tolerate my sin. But he knew who he created me to be. And he loved the possibility of that coming to be. He loved, when he looked at me, he did not see the things that I was doing against him. He saw who I was created to be in his heart, who I've existed as for all of eternity. And the beautiful thing about us carrying the presence of God, we can go into the world to all that are lost and the Lord will reveal to us who they are in his heart. And we get to pour into that, speak into that. How many of you have ever experienced just speaking into a person what you believe to be true about them and then all of a sudden you see this person elevate to that, right? They begin to change into that. They begin to grow into that. If you believe the best of someone, you will see the best in them. But again, how can this city look more like the kingdom of heaven if we do not love and minister to the lost as they are now? We are, the mission, we are in the mission field, church. We don't have to go to another country. I wish churches would understand this. It's important to go to under, other countries. Don't get me wrong. Because America just has a lot of resources that most countries do not have. It's important for us to go. But when will we recognize that we do not have to go somewhere else to be in the mission field? We are in it right now. There are lost people not a stone's throw away from this house that need Jesus. And they need him desperately. They need him desperately. There are kids in that school that are growing up in generational strongholds of turmoil and brokenness that need Jesus now. They don't need us to go to Mexico. They don't need us to go to Japan or Africa or any of these places. They need us to minister to them now. Minister to them now. Not wait for them to come. We need to go get them now. Now again, it's important. We'll always have missions in this house because of the importance of it. But we are in a mission field. We are ministers of the ministry of reconciliation. But only because... This ministry of reconciliation captured us and reconciled us back to God first. Amen? Matthew 18. This has been profound for me this week. Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones 
should perish. The Lord does not desire anyone on this earth to not come into salvation and the forgiveness of sins and be reconciled back to himself. He gave Jesus the ministry of reconciliation to the world, world reconcile it back to God, and then he gave us that ministry. He entrusted to us. He didn't just give it. He entrusted to us this ministry. And we, I love, we love singing those songs. We love that verse. I love that thought that he left the 99 for the one because all of us can relate to that because every one of us was the one. Every one of us has been the one at one time in our life and we praise God that he left the 99. He left everything to come after me. And guess what? You all who are now in Christ Jesus that have been reunited who have been reconciled and have been welcomed back into the kingdom of heaven, you are now shepherds sent out by the Spirit of God to do the very same thing. As Jesus went looking for you, so he has sent you to go looking for those that have gone astray. He went and he found us. We are sent out to find the one. Amen? And who is to say that that person standing behind you in the grocery store or that person that you walk past Uh, at work or that sits next to you in the cubicle is not that one that has gone astray and Jesus has sent you to him. Amen? We are sent after the one. Jesus has every intention for us to be the shepherds that are going after the one if we would simply love those that have gone astray, love the lost. And I'm telling you right now in this church, we will love who he loves in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Holy Spirit, make it so. Let it be. Do we love what he loves? Luke 15, verse 20. We know this, this has been a passage, a foundational passage for us in this season. This is the story of the prodigal son. Verse 20. And the son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw and ran to him and felt compassion upon him and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We love that passage. But there's a part of this passage that we don't like as much. And that's that older brother. But what would the story be like if the older brother was on the porch waiting with his father for his brother to come home? What would that story play out like? What if he, his brother, brought the robe, brought the ring? What if the older brother suggested the killing of the fattened calf in the celebration for his brother's return? See, what makes the father's heart sing, what makes the father's heart rejoice is when the things that exist in his heart are also found in the heart of his children. For their brothers and sisters who are lost to be found. And is that not all it is? The lost are not this group of people that we have no relation to. They are made for us and we are made for them. We are still members one of another and we are missing pieces. And that missing piece is that person that does not yet know him. But that is just a brother. That is just a sister that is lost and gone astray. We, we need to stop looking at them as these infected things and look at them as my brother and my sister who have just simply gone astray. But praise God, he sent me after them. With everything we need, we minister under an open heaven so you will not arrive in that situation with that lost sheep that has gone astray empty-handed. 
You will arrive with a robe and with a ring and with a fattened calf and an ability to celebrate. The Lord will give you everything you need. I love that song that we listened to last week. That's what that song is saying. That song is Ring and Robe is the title of that song. And so much of that, a big part of that song is just simply rejoicing and saying, welcome home. And there weren't any, there weren't any lost people coming in there at the time. They were just simply praying it and rejoicing the reality that they have prayed for the lost to come home. And they're rejoicing now because they know when the sons and daughters of God pray for something, it is released in that very moment. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. But oftentimes in this story, the church, we are, we are like the older brother portrayed in this. We're bitter, we're angry. We're angry towards the lost because of things that they believe in or things that they do. But that cannot be anymore. Not in this house, amen? It will exist in the world, but it will not exist here. We can control here. Can we not? And we do not have to choose to look at them as outcasts any longer, just sheep that have gone astray. But church, it is so necessary for us to see, and I want to see in my life, it is, it is one of my greatest prayers. I listen to, to pastors, and I, you know, I know a lot of pastors and their journeys and where they've started and where they are now and just how the Lord has just established the kingdom of heaven and released the vision. And I just desire with all my heart to see everything that the Lord has spoken come to fruition in this, in this city. With all my heart. If I don't get to see it, okay, but I desire with everything I am for all that the Lord has spoken to be seen in my lifetime. Okay? I desire for it to be seen, but that does not happen if this church does not have a deep, deep love for those that are lost. If this church does not love everything that Jesus loves, we must become in love with all that our Savior is in love with. It must be the things that we seek out. It must be that which we desire most, the things that our Father loves. And He desires and loves the lost. And there are plenty of lost in this community. There are plenty of broken. There are plenty of those that are hurting. There are plenty of sheep that have gone astray, and it is our job to leave the 99 and go after the one. It is not our job to stay put in this house, in this building. You are the 99. You see, and you have all been called to leave and go after the one. Amen. That is our job. We must love what he loves. Can we, church, this morning and this week? This is not something that simply just happens in a moment. It is released in the moment, but this is a process that the Lord is going to have to lead us through. He's having to show me the things that I don't love that he loves one at a time. He's having to show me. Oh, man, oh, man, there is some stuff that I'm having a hard time loving, and I'm just trying to explain to him, like, you shouldn't love this, Lord. You shouldn't. You're wrong. I don't like it for a reason. You need to listen. And that hasn't gone so well thus far. There's a lot of things that the Lord is calling me to deal with, and it's not comfortable, and it's not easy, but I desire to love what he loves. Do you? Do we as a house desire to love what he loves unconditionally as he loves us? Praise God, because I wake up every day and there's not a single condition set above me. He just asked me to love him. And I don't have to do anything for that love to be released upon me. I don't have to do anything. I was, I've been thinking about that this morning, this beautiful seven-year-old boy that I can't, can't, 
I don't know how I'm going to do it. He's only seven, and I cry every time he has a birthday. Um, just because I'm just I'm looking at him like, I did not deserve him, you know? I have not done anything to earn that little boy, but I got him. It's because of the unconditional love of the Father that is so freely released upon us. I want the world to know that love. That they don't have to earn it, they don't have to work for it, and it is there for them. And we have the honor, church, of being those that could introduce it to them. Can you think of a greater thing? Think of that love that met you where you were and that feeling of when you first felt the love of God consume you so greatly that you could, not, you could not swim out of it, you could not run out of it, you could not escape the love of God when it got a hold of you. Think of that feeling. I'll remember that feeling the rest of my life. I get to experience it every day. And now you and me get to be those that would carry that and introduce that to someone that does not know it. What an honor to love what he loves. What an honor to love what he loves. Think about that. That he would give us the ability to love what he loves. What an honor. We should not be able to. To just simply even love what he loves. It's a great and powerful thing, a mighty thing. His love is the power and we get to love what he loves and I just pray that that would be true in this house, that when the world looks at us, they would say they loved us well. They loved what the, their Savior loves. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.